Hey, it's me, Editing Mike, with a big announcement. I'm not even going to do a cute little intro thing. I'm just going to get right into the introduction to this podcast. The announcement is that August 2021 is the last month of regularly, weekly uploaded Potterless episodes. It does not mean Potterless is dying. It just means we are not posting new weekly episodes. And what will be taking the place of weekly posting is that I am launching a new Percy Jackson show that will start in September. It will be a similar structure to Potterless, where I am making my way through this series for the very first time. I knew legitimately nothing about Percy Jackson before starting on this podcasting endeavor. Absolutely nothing. I didn't even know if Percy Jackson was the main character or if it was maybe like Zelda where the franchise was named after not the main hero. But that will be on a separate feed. The Potterless feed will stay as it is every time I do a live show or a convention appearance or anything where I get audio that I can put onto the feed. I will do so, but I just can't promise any sort of regularity to these uploads, so it will be sporadic. But the feed is not completely dying, and there will be something weekly in the podcasting world where I cover a children's series. It's just not Harry Potter anymore because I've pretty much done everything I wanted to cover. I will now be moving on to Percy Jackson. I'll be starting with the main five books and hopefully moving on to doing the spinoff books and the movie and the musical and eventually the Disney Plus show whenever that comes out. So I'm really excited to make all of that. There will be more announcements about the Percy Jackson show and trailers and where you can subscribe and all of that. But for now, we've got one final month of regular weekly Potterless episodes. There are five Mondays in August. There's going to be five incredible episodes. These two, the one you're listening to now and the one afterwards, is a two-part discussion on the shortcomings of diversity and representation in Harry Potter with a panel of lovely guests. Then and after that, we're doing a fan theory episode with the Super Carlin Brothers. And after that, we're doing a fan theory episode with Chanel Williams. And the final episode, the last Monday in August, will be a retrospective looking back as we go on. We remember Potterless with a bunch of guests and just a fun little way to recap everything we've gone through together on this ridiculous journey. For those fan theory episodes, those are the listener submitted fan theory episodes. So it is not too late. If you want to send in your fan theory for us to discuss, there's two ways to do so. You can leave us a voicemail at 65 75 Bagman, that is 6575224626, or you can send an audio clip to potterlesspodcast at gmail.com. No matter what you do, please keep it to 30 seconds or less just so we can go through them more quickly, but you could have your audio appear on an episode of Potterless. We'd love to hear from you. So that's what we have planned for the final month. I am sad to close the chapter on this journey, but I feel like it has run its course and I don't want to spread the content we covered too thin. This has been something I always knew would happen eventually with the podcast and now feels like the right time to transition over. And I'm really excited to cover Percy Jackson. I don't want to give away too much of the podcast. I will be announcing the name for it and the art and music and all that good stuff throughout August. But I will say this, after reading just a couple chapters of the first book, I absolutely adore the series. And I think it's going to be really fun. And it's going to make for a really good podcast. We've got some incredible guests lined up already. And I'm so excited for you all to hear it. But for now, let's enjoy this final month of weekly episodes of Potterless. And speaking of enjoying Potterless, just another reminder that there are live shows. We've got our first of the Pot Tour less Tour, the United States Tour we've got going on right now. The first show is coming up this week, August 4th in New York City. We've got a whole bunch of other shows. If you you want to see where we are performing, if we're performing in a city near you and you want to get tickets, you can go to potterlesspodcast.com slash live. And normally we would be doing donation time, but because this announcement was so long, I will do it next week. But I do still want to give a shout out to the newest members of our team over at patreon.com slash potterless. So shout out to Nikki Campbell, Kyle Banduho, and Rebecca Tarn, and a huge shout out to our newest producer level patron, Michaela Veneer. 
They join the ranks of Vicky, Christine, Aaron, Clow, Marchismo, Juan, Rose, Marie, Marie, Elisa, Audra, Eleanor, Nikita, Rachel, Alex, John, Noel, Claire, Rory, Veronica, Lada, Noah, Jennifer, Justin, Jacob, Maya, Polly, Zena, Harlan, Nikki, Kine, Sarah, Marta, Flor, Skyla, Adele, Professor Threat, Ellie, Michael, Kelly, Kerry, Connie, Jen, Nedry, Will, Marike, Ashton, Brittany, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny, Heather, Kevin, Jarl, Pita, Callahan, Bella, Melanie, Rees, Joseph, Madison, Tonks, Sabrina, Sophia, Farzan, Melanie, Matt, Okamahime, Bony Pony, Kelsey, Rike, Taylor, Megan, Riley, Laurel, Erica, Kendra, Natanya, Yogan, Darcy, Sandra, Craig, Demi, Michelle, Henrika, Casey, Megan, Jack, Stain, Little, Elaria, Gregory, Cawcaw, Ribbon, Jack, Serenity, Haley, Sabrina, Jenny, Eileen, Annette, Hufflepuff, Brett, Mary, Artemis, Samantha, Nina, Tatiana, Karis, Vomit Spiders, Punkfish, Wire Warrior, Joe, Michael, Maya, Jasmine, Neely, Tate, Sam, Sam, Adriana, John, Jody, Dunanash, Emma, Il, Sean, Greg, Matthew, Ping, Vinacek, Nani, Emma, Tough, Micah, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter? Who never, when in a conversation making small talk, ask the other person how they're doing back-to-back times, a la, hey, how's it going? Good, how are you? I'm good, and yourself? You've already asked that. If you want to be like one of these amazing patrons and get access to all of our bonus content, the entire backlog of stuff that will still be there and remain there forever because we are transferring over the Patreon to the Percy Jackson Show, you can do so at patreon.com slash Potterless. But without further ado, let's get into episode 187 of Potterless, the first part of a two-part discussion about the representation in Harry Potter, guest starring Delia Gallegos and Michael Harley. Hello, Internet, and welcome back to another episode of Potterless, the tale of a 29-year-old man who never read the Harry Potter series as a kid. He read them as an adult, he consumed lots of other spin-off and fan-made content, and now he's having another discussion with some fine folks about something that I've wanted to address for a while, and I'm glad we are finally making it happen. My name is Mike Schuber, I'm that grown man, and I'm here joined today by some lovely folks that I will allow them to introduce themselves, because as you can probably see by the title of this episode, we will be talking about representation in Harry Potter. So I want our guests to be able to say what groups they are representing. Obviously, I will be the least diverse option possible in that I'm a straight white male. (laughs) So that's how I fall. Cis, straight, white, all the stuff that does nothing, which is why I am not trying to talk out of my butt about this and bringing in people who can actually speak from experience. I will say at the top, Constance Gibbs was supposed to join us as well, one of the fine folks from Black Girls Create, and she had a untimely illness show up just before recording. Not ideal. So I will pass it over to you, Delia, to why don't you introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, everybody. I'm Delia Gallegos. I am the creative director and chief financial officer at Black Girls Create. I'm also host of the podcast, The Other Half, with um, Connie to the podcast, The Nerds Are Typing, where we go through different nerd fandom properties and type characters through the MBTI and Enneagram. My pronouns are she, her. I am black. I'm also part Cherokee. I'm also, though I don't know what will come up in the conversation, ace. So there you go. That's the background I'm bringing to this conversation. Great. And what about you, Michael? Well, your listeners may know me a little bit because I had the wonderful fortune of being on some Fantastic Beasts episodes with you, Mike. (laughs) So, <laughs> oh, what an honor. What, what an, an honor. honor. <laughs> it was wonderful because it was the finale of the last time I had to think about those movies. <laughs> My name is Michael Harley. I used to be a Harry Potter podcaster. I was on three different Harry Potter podcasts over the course of a 10 year span, which, whoa. As far as my representation, what I am bringing to the table, I am 
East Indian adopted, and I am, as Daniel Radcliffe once considered himself, Jewish non-practicing, but I had a bar mitzvah and everything. I am gay, and my brother is on the autism spectrum, and so that is like just the tip of the iceberg of things I bring to this conversation. I'm also in library services. I'm currently in the program for my master's in library sciences. I have been in libraries for over 20 years. And so I have been right alongside the rise of Harry Potter. I was here from the beginning through to this bitter, bitter end we find (laughs) ourselves at today. When I joined in. Hey. (laughs) (laughs) Great timing. Great timing. Oh, geez. And of course, we're recording this on Thursday, July 22nd, 2021. Just a couple of days ago, JK stoked the flames of being the worst again, which now makes this episode (laughs) timely. So... What we wanted to discuss today is just the shortcomings of representation in Harry Potter. And unfortunately, that comes in a lot of different forms. And this will take a similar approach to the anti-Semitism in Harry Potter episode that we did with Eric Silver a while back, just trying to talk about some of the issues, what improvements could have been made, examples of things gone wrong, things gone right, etc. We had a call, the four of us Connie, who is not with us for this recording, she was also in on the call to try to decide what topics would be the most important for us to touch on. And we arrived at three main segments. The first two we will be discussing in this episode, and then next week there will be another episode discussing the third. But the first segment we'll be talking about is incidental stereotypes. So just some of the things that are in the books that were oversight either by JK or the editors that they didn't pick up on that looking back don't look so great. The second of which is attempted commentary via the use of metaphors that fell flat. So things that were intentional choices to try to make some sort of point but didn't necessarily fully hit the mark. And then the third bigger section, which will be the entirety of our second episode, is the intentional choices that J.K. Rowling made that are actively bad. The only other thing that we wanted to clarify at the top is that we're not going to be addressing the lack of mental health representation in Harry Potter, not because it is not important, not because it is not there, but just because J.K. completely avoided it. And what we're trying to discuss here is examples of things gone wrong and how things could have been better. And J.K. just painted this big brush of, oh, those don't exist in the wizarding world. Also, this is why we won't be talking about physical disability representation. Just she didn't even bother. She didn't try. No attempt was made at all. So from a discussion perspective, it's hard to talk about the improvements that could have been made when she just didn't even try. So generally, it would have been, hey, that would have been nice if you even tried at all, but you just (laughs) did nothing. So instead, we're going to be talking about some other areas that fell flat that we can actually point to examples in the book. So we have something to reference. I love that the whole second episode is intentional mistakes because there's the (laughs) most of those. There's so many. (laughs) There's unfortunately so many. So many. I think a thing to clarify before we get started with some of the specifics as well is that while the three of us basically just went through the breakdown of who we are for you because you can't see us and uh, you don't know our full lives 
I think the important thing to remind the listeners about in conversations like these is that even with the representation that we have here, we are not monoliths. Absolutely. I am not the one East Indian gay Jew. I am the one <laughs> East Indian gay Jew at Hogwarts, probably. <laughs> probably so, yeah. <laughs> You're not getting in. Come on. It's, it's too many, too many things. You can only have one tick box. <laughs> I know. That's you would get one. <laughs> but I am definitely not all those things on my list, on Delia's list, what have you. They do not mean that we are the authority on that section of the discussion. I think the thing that sometimes we forget about when diverse individuals enter discussions like these is that they have just as varied, interesting lives as others mm -hmm. and that our experiences widely differ from one another. We don't have secret meetings where we're all. <laughs> I don't know about you, but every year I go to the convention of the blacks and we all talk about what we're going to, what lines are we holding this year? <laughs> I'm just kidding. It's very true though. A lot of people come to black girls crate, for example, thinking we're all going to have the same opinions about any one fandom, especially Harry Potter, because I know some of your listeners might have probably listened to wizard team, which my partners, Robin and Bayana host hosted i should say and they have opinions i have opinions a lot of them align some of them don't and so yeah i would encourage listeners to take what you can away from this conversation but also seek out even more diverse voices see what they have to say see what they think and maybe you know in discussions about this episode there will be other people from other backgrounds sharing their opinions and their thoughts and i think it's important to take all of that in and really come to the understanding that we aren't a monolith like michael was saying because i think that's kind of a beautiful thing that gets missed out especially on twitter so absolutely these discussions are not to say that the things we're about to talk about mean that that is the definitive end of the discussion this is meant to be an opening of a door of further discussion about these points. And I just want to, at the top here, thank you, Mike, for this is a wonderful example of allyship by creating a space. You have a platform and you recognize that and you made space for us to have this discussion here. So thank you so much for opening the space for us to do this. That's very kind of you, but also thank you, because as seen in the very beginning of our notes, I was like, how do I toe the line of recognizing that I'm a white dude that does not know from experience any of this? It's all just things I've received. How do I learn, but also not put the impetus of, well, you have to teach me because mm -hmm. it's hard because there's only so much that I can do from research on my own. But mm -hmm. what I've always learned with anything is just trying to hear from people from those backgrounds, what their thoughts are on those topics. And as you're talking about not being a monolith, hearing from multiple people from those communities. So mm -hmm. that's what I'm trying to foster here. I knew I couldn't just be like, here's 45 minutes of what I heard, guys. Uh, <laughs> so instead, I read this on Twitter. <laughs> right, I read this really great thread on Twitter. And now I'm an expert me, white man, Mike Schubert. So <laughs> definitely not trying to act like that. So yeah, I think we've all laid it out. Again, always open to discussion. Feel free to email me at potterlespodcast at gmail.com with anything. I'm always willing to learn more and to hear more perspectives. Or if you just want to talk about this sort of thing and you find it interesting, go for it. I would love to hear from you. So let's start with that first topic that we said, incidental stereotypes. Some of the things that 
are found in the books that looking back just don't look great. And one of the prime examples of this is something that I bumped against when first reading the books, and that's that Dean, Dean Thomas, who is established to be a black character, is given an absentee father. And some people let me know that there is writing about Dean Thomas's dad, but I'm pretty sure that came out after the fact, giving him this backstory of he was a good guy and then he got either kidnapped or attacked by people, blah, 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 to try to justify it. But still, when you have a black character and he has an absentee father, that felt like a yikes moment to me. Mm-hmm. And is that the correct reaction to have there? Oh, I absolutely think so. I should say, like, on the outside, the thing with these incidental stereotypes is, like, we all play into these sometimes. Like, they come from our own ignorances, our own privilege, just things we overlook and we take in unconsciously. Like, if you're a creator, it might find their way into your work. And that's why having editors, sensitivity readers, et cetera are important, reading diversely, et cetera, all of that. For this, like if you don't catch it at first, like I, like a lot of people, started reading when I was a child. I, as a Black person, didn't catch that until much later. And I think that's normal. But I do think the reaction once you're like, oh, um, wait, is a correct reaction because this is a pervasive stereotype, not just in America, in general in the Western world. And again, this is under our incidental stereotypes category, because I definitely don't think J.K. Rowling sat down and was like, I bet he has a no good absentee father or whatever. I think her worldview just really was such that she was like, yeah, makes sense. He's black and whatever. And, you know, if he wasn't the only I mean, he's not the only black character, but like one of the only (laughs) if he wasn't one of the only black characters and like he just happened to not because, you know, that does exist. But unfortunately, he is one of the only black characters and he just so happens to have an absentee father and it's not ever addressed. He just says he doesn't know and he just happens to be a wizard. And I kind of feel like that storyline could have been given to anybody. I kind of get the idea and kind of think it's I don't know if it's a fun idea. I mean, fun from a creator. I do write. So like a fun <laughs> from a creation standpoint, imagining like, what if you don't know one of your parents or both of your parents and like suddenly you're just a wizard? Like, what is that like? Kind of like Harry, but he ends up getting to know his parents. But like, what if you grow up with your mom? Your mom's a muggle. And then just one day you're told you're a wizard. What is that like? I think that's interesting to explore. But I think it's a choice that she made the character she wanted to explore that with a black character. For your listeners who are curious, as you because you mentioned, Mike, that that piece of writing seems to have gone off into the nether. It is summarized on the New Wizarding World website. The original piece was included on Rowling's old personal website. So that's why it never made it to Pottermore. She never mm. re, like did it up. The piece was very short because back in the day, she wasn't intentionally writing things in a Pottermore way of thinking. She was just kind of jotting thoughts down on her website that people had asked her questions about. And Dean Thomas, the story behind that is that he was meant to have a whole subplot, essentially, where he was going to find out this information about his father, that his father was a wizard, and that essentially like, he was a good wizard who had been accosted by Death Eaters, and they tried to make him join their ranks. He said no, and then he ran off to protect his family. But Dean just thinks that his father left, and he doesn't know why. But there was going to be follow-up with that, and the reason that Rowling didn't include it, as she put it, was because Neville's secondary storyline felt like the one to build up because it's more of a parallel to Harry. Mm -hmm. I think the mistakes there, which are incidental, and I think for the most part, I would say just a victim of the writing process. But like Delia said, there is an unconscious bias lying within that editing process. Mm -hmm. If you've looked at early drafts and work 
from Potter before it was published, everybody had different names. Everybody was just, it had completely different storylines. Why couldn't you make Neville a character of color? Why couldn't you merge him with Dean Thomas? Why couldn't you do a better job than taking out of the book and it's just an extra canonical thing? Mm -hmm. The weird part about this plot too is that you see the thinnest shadow of it in Deathly Hallows. Right, yes. Because all of that is the result of why Dean is wandering around in the forest and they see him with Ted Tonks and the goblins and also why he is at Malfoy Manor, which if you're watching the movie, you're just like, what? Why is he here? (laughs) (laughs) So I think that, like Delia said, that I think it was truly incidental, but that is, and we're going to see a lot of this. This is a piece of what we mean when we talk about systemic racism. The idea of that is that racism is literally built into everything. And it is often built into things that you take for granted. And it will sound crazy to tell you that racism is in everything. I just found out a few days ago, and this is something that some of y'all probably know about your own cities, Traffic is racist. Did you know traffic is racist? I did. I learned that a couple of months ago that basically every highway was intentionally put into the non-white neighborhoods yes. by the white people who were in charge yes. of deciding <laughs> where the loud, busy roads would go. They would say, not our part of town, put it in the other part of town. Right. Absolutely. And in doing so, the traffic combined with redlining has shunted people of color to the edges of major cities. Therefore, they have a longer commute to get to work and therefore they get in the most traffic accidents. The city of Austin actually has an initiative called Vision Zero to get down to zero traffic accidents, which is not going to happen. All right. <laughs> not sure. in Texas. I mean, not in Texas. <laughs> no. I'd love to see it, but... Uh, Absolutely. We're all it's... from Texas, for the record, for Texas listeners. <laughs> <laughs> but... The background on the website for that project explores that deeply rooted history in racism. Interesting. And how that came to be. And it's not something I don't think a lot of us think about when we're just driving to work. We're not thinking, I'm I'm stuck in traffic because traffic is racist. But it is. And it can be that level of pervasiveness with systemic racism that... You just don't think about it. It's there and you don't even realize you did it. And that's kind of what we mean by with these incidental stereotypes. Rolling is in certain aspects. We live in a society. (laughs) The way I like to put it, because it was put to me this way one time, is that, you know, white supremacy is just the soup that we're all swimming in. Mm -hmm. So we all take it in. We're all affected by it. So when we're saying that these incidental stereotypes exist, it's not necessarily, we will attack our character. Don't worry. Part two, baby. these in particular are not. (laughs) It's also incidental that his character story does get pushed back to the background in general because he was supposed to be a more prominent member of not the trio, but like in the friend group. He was supposed to be at the Midnight Duel in the first book. And he wasn't, and that was a choice. But as a writer, I think even, yes, though that these books existed in the 90s and quote-unquote it was a different time or whatever, I do think you have to question, like, why did you make that decision? Mm -hmm. Yes, Neville's story is great, but why did you choose him over Dean? Why couldn't Dean be shoehorned in also with, I know, the 10,000 other plots she was tracking? Why, like Michael said, could it not be combined? So not only having the absentee father, but then on top of that, why did you choose to relegate Dean to the background in the first place? Yeah, And should you have made other adjustments? adjustments to your story. Right. Dean, as he is defined as a Black individual in the story, if y'all have read, you may be confused 
if we were having this discussion right after Sorcerer's Philosopher's Stone was published because Dean was not defined as Black in the UK version, and Rowling claimed that was because her Bloomsbury editor, as opposed to her Scholastic editor, was like, snip, 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 this chapter is going on too long, time to snip, 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 and that they apparently snipped out the description of Dean as a Black individual and that Scholastic chose to leave it in. Who knows? I'm so skeptical of everything Rowling says at this point. I don't know what's true anymore. But the thing to think about from a a young adult and juvenile novel perspective is representation. And I always say, man, kids and teens, they are so lucky. Kids and teens of today, as far as reading goes, they have so much beautiful diversity in their books. It's finally happening. We're finally seeing it. That has been a ongoing effort. There was a graphic that mapped the representation of youth of color in picture books. I want to say it was in the earlier mid-2000s. And there were more animals. Not surprised. In picture books Mm -hmm. than kids of color. White kids, of course, came out on top in that representation. And the same thing happens here in Potter. We'll get into this more with other characters. But we live in a world as well where the default is white. And you were almost certainly meant to picture, at the very least, the main characters as all white. And I know we'll get into Hermione Mm -hmm. about that later. But that is an interesting piece with Dean in terms of how he was defined on one side of the pond, Mm -hmm. not the other. Eventually, same thing happened with Blaise Zabini as well. Yeah. Weird. Yeah, I think you both bring up a good point is that once a character is defined to not be white, because I don't know that Neville is ever explicitly said to be white. You would imagine Ron is because they say he has red hair. Hermione, I know it's a back and forth thing, but there is that one description where it says when she's beat up, she looks like a panda. So that kind of assumes she's white. Right. And even though some characters aren't defined find it's more what we're talking about here is like once a character is defined to not be white at best they become a b plot Mm -hmm. any character who is explicitly given a different race the patils dean thomas blazabini kingsley shacklebolt all of these people don't get into main character or top tier status whereas the characters that are either explicitly white or like Michael is saying default and then represented in the movies or the illustrations or both as white, those people can be more important. And that's part of the problem. And going back to something Delia said with sensitivity listeners and product of the ages, I don't want it to be misconstrued that we are expecting JK to have written books in the 90s and the 2000s to the standards that we have today. Right. The problem with JK is that she tries to act like she's been perfect since the beginning and everything is great, as opposed to other authors like Rick Reardon, who admits shortcomings and Mm -hmm. improves and is honest about growth. And it's something that we all try to be. I try to be. I wasn't even as good about presenting this podcast in a way that was more accepting using ableist language in the earliest episodes and stuff like that. I've been honest about my growth, and it's a shame that J.K. Rowling didn't do that. So I think even though these books were written in a time where people weren't on top of it, it doesn't make it okay that it happened, but you can still point out things that were shortcomings without saying, oh, she should have done this. This was an expectation. Part of 
dissecting media and dissecting stuff that we love is talking about where it falls short, where it missed the mark. And that doesn't mean you love anything less, but being critical and wanting the best for something that you love is just a natural way to approach fandom. So I don't want people to like get that confusion there. Even if you weren't trying to say she's got to write a 1999 book to 2020 standards, that's not the case. But we can still talk about stuff in the past that wouldn't fly today. And also part of it, too, is that as we go through it, you'll see and we're only touching mostly on the original seven, mostly. You'll see that even knowing her extra canon stuff, like she hasn't grown. Like even if she never said a word, which unfortunately she said many words, but if she <laughs> never said a word, but let the work speak for itself and the work had gotten more inclusive and grown, that would be a conversation, but it hasn't. So I also wanted to say to the point of like, anytime there are characters of color, they not only get relegated to plots, but also they're not treated very kindly by the plot. Not to say the trio has a great time, but like the things they go through within the story and how the plot handles that. I talk about this a lot, you know, on panels and stuff like there is a way to present something that it maybe isn't the most politically correct and have a character say it or have a character go through it or whatever the case is. But the story should interrogate that there should be a conversation there. So, for instance, when Cho Chang is treated like basically crap, like trash for being an emotional woman when instead she's actually going through like grief and stuff. That should be interrogated within the story rather than validating Harry and Ron's feelings for feeling that way. You know what I mean? So I think we see that a lot in Harry Potter and Rowling's work in general. Like these stereotypes just crop up. Nothing's interrogating it within the story, which means we as readers are just supposed to take them as okay in fact and that's how they were intended to be taken if she even realized they were there at all sometimes you got to put things a little more plainly mm -hmm. sometimes you have to tell the kids hey this is bad and not try to have this high horse and say oh well actually it's a commentary on ron and harry being immature and that's why they think cho chang is just crying great kids are reading this book maybe make it a bit more obvious that that's what you're going for if that is what you're going for right we have so many people so many fans in this day and age who still hate Cho Chang. I never hated Cho Chang. I loved her. I loved her so much. Oh, I, I absolutely hated her. <laughs> I loved her. I, I learned, though. <laughs> I loved her from the moment she was introduced in Prisoner of Azkaban, and she was just so cheeky on the Quidditch field with Harry and flirtatious, and it was fun. And the funny thing is, so many people tell me that they saw Harry and Ginny from the moment that Ginny freaked out I at seeing not. Harry in Chamber of Secrets. And I'm like, uh-uh, mm -hmm. that was a terrible relationship. Cho and Harry had so much more screen time. There was so much more development on that relationship on the page. And Rowling pulled it out from under Cho's feet by having Harry be a hot mess and treating it that Cho was being the unreasonable one in that situation when, as you said, Delia, she was experiencing intense grief and didn't have clearly didn't have anybody to talk about it with except Harry. On my previous podcasts, I actually did map out literally all of the characters of color, marginalized characters in the series, and we went one by one through their plots. Not only are they all B-plots, secondary plots that are in their own cul-de-sac and some that don't even really end anywhere fruitful, but on top of that, these B-plots all exist to build up our white characters. Mm -hmm. And as Deli mentioned as well, that has not stopped after the seven Harry Potter novels. If anything, Cursed Child and definitely Fantastic Beasts have been more aggressive 
with that approach rather than less. Mm -hmm. That's the part that I think is so frustrating in these conversations is that this fandom, and it has been pointed out many times over the recent years, was taught by the books to see these things, these faults, and be as progressive as we are. We were taught this by these books, but these books do not live, no longer live up to their own messages Mm -hmm. in the new material. They are not carrying forward these concepts. They are carrying forward the things that we are calling out in these discussions in these two episodes, all the bad stuff, pretty much. Yeah, and that goes back to just JK not growing and not adapting and not admitting any sort of shortcoming and never admitting any sort of fault and just refusing to learn and grow and publicly learn and grow. She doesn't have to. She's perfect and she makes Mm -hmm. so much money, guys. She's always been right. Yeah, you're right. That's true. She's donated so much, so she's okay. (laughs) Because donating money does mean you're good and that's okay. (laughs) So another example that Connie had pointed out in our initial call when we were deciding what topics to discuss, and I am embarrassed to say that I never thought about this until... Connie brought it up, is that Kingsley Shacklebolt's last name is Shacklebolt, yeah. and he's black. Wh- I, uh, ha. This is pretty common. Like, we'll bring it up. I think we bring it up on Wizard Team. We brought it up. I know. I brought it up in various panels and stuff. If uh, you've ever caught Black Girls Create at conventions and stuff, that his last name is, in fact, Shacklebolt. Like, Shackles? Bolt. Ugh. It's right there in the text. And like I said previously with Dean, like, a lot of things you don't pick up as a kid, but you know, you reread twice, third time. And as you're getting a little older and getting, you're literally, your brain's growing, you're learning more about the world. You're like, did she mean? And I remember looking up, like going on the internet, you know, on a desktop because we didn't have smartphones yet and, <laughs> and trying to look it up and realizing like, she hasn't said, like literally this is just in the text. And for the most part, nobody was talking about it. And at that, that when I would find, you know, the odd forum or so, um, that would mention it. It was like, oh, well, but like, it's supposed to be empowering because like he broke free from like, you know, black, pe- it's to show black people's empowerment, breaking free. From- I don't know. That wasn't from JK Rowling. That's just- It's his last name. It should not be his last name. It's so bad. And on top of that with Kingsley, this is something we joke about on Wizard Team a lot, is like literally the only way he's described is like bald and black. That's it. That's what we know about Kingsley. He's bald and black and his last name is Shacklebolt. And it's just so- bad and i think it's incidental like she purposefully clearly named him like that's not an accident Mm -hmm. her names are always so incredibly intentional that that's what makes this one worse is she always talks about how important everyone's name is that when you have a name misstep like this it feels bad yeah and same thing with cho chang which i know there's lots of different debate about if that name makes sense or if it's just two different asian last names smushed together i've heard both sides being argued so i'm not going to act like i know the true answer but still for kingsley shackable for an author that prides herself on how important her names are That's a tough look. Yeah, it's pretty gross. For Cho Chang, I could throw out there that there was a young woman named Rachel Rostad. Sorry, Rachel, if I pronounced your last name wrong. She wrote a spoken word piece called To J.K. Rowling from Cho Chang. Yes. It is from the Asian perspective. I've seen the video of her performing it. So if you're curious more about what's going on there, definitely look into that and that'll give you a little more background on Cho. Sorry, Deli, I interrupted you. Oh, that's all right. No, yeah, absolutely look into that. I have heard a lot of like different takes too. I've mostly heard that it's just bad and it's two last names smushed together, but I have heard, you know, multiple takes. And again, not a monolith. Always go and find diverse voices. But yeah, with Shacklebolt, it's really gross to me. 
because again, like Mike was saying, we know the intentionality with her names. And I still think would count as incidental because I think it truly is just her own ignorance really incredibly seeping out there like very clearly like she thought that was my name and probably did think something like those white fans I saw before thinking like oh he's a strong black man and whatever whatever which kind of more just leans into the black brood of it all more than anything if that was her intention I can't speak to her intentions nor do I care anymore at this point but (laughs) yeah it's really a shame because Kingsley could have been especially with just a little bit more fleshing out could have been such a cool character I mean he's already cool with the little that we get he's very cool but yeah we don't get a lot of him he's super dope and unfortunately every time I read it has to be Kingsley Shacklebolt I just mm-hmm. uh, I really don't have any like really coherent commentary except that I hate it so I mean I think go. that sums it up well enough and I think you're good <laughs> I will say because we were just saying like Kingsley is super cool for the little we see of him I am ashamed to say this but I will admit that after all of this stuff that Rowling has been saying Lego came out with a new set of Harry Potter minifigures and Kingsley was in the line of minifigures and I was like oh you better believe I'm going to go get that minifigure because he is black (laughs) and he is dressed in beautiful garb. I need that minifigure. (laughs) Give it to me. And Dean Thomas was also in that lineup as well. I got him too. And even just my excitement to get Lego minifigures of these characters who are on the sidelines, but like our few representations of color in the series, Mm -hmm. I think speaks to the importance of representation of these characters in this story. And I think the fandom does generally have a high opinion of Kingsley, but I realized in my previous discussions about him that almost all of his awesomeness is related to us by the narration or other characters, and we never rarely if ever see it on the page basically we don't really see his awesomeness until like a brief fleeting moment during the battle of hogwarts and hallows otherwise he is mostly just being a really great double agent behind the scenes that we hear about Mm -hmm. when all of these other wonderful characters who are white are doing their heroism very much in the immediate action on the page in front of harry's eyes i just wanted to add that that's very common also for like Michael knows for the characters of color. Um, jumping back to Dean real quick. Hi, I write fan fiction sometimes, but I wrote a, a fanfic about Dean essentially and got to the part where I needed to like, it was semi canonical canon adjacent really. And got to the part in Deathly Hallows where they're supposed like after Malfoy Manor, do you realize he's there the whole time with Harry at Cheryl cottage? <laughs> no, because he's literally not mentioned. They show up and literally He doesn't say a word. He's never mentioned. He might be mentioned like, oh, he was upstairs just to assert that he's out of the way. We can have this conversation. But like he's not there. And it's just so frustrating. And I'll stop there because we could go on all day. But it is very frustrating because they're they're not there to tell their own stories. Hello, everyone. It's me, your old pal editing Mike. Just going to step in here before we continue the discussion. We need to take a little bit of a break for Wingardium Adridosa. Today's episode of Potterless is brought to you by Calm. Let's say hypothetically that you're me, Mike Schubert. You're road tripping back from Texas to New York City, and you're staying in a hotel that is a bit loud. You want something to drown out the noise coming from down the hall. What could you use? You could use the audio programs from Calm. Calm is the number one mental wellness app that has a whole bunch of great audio programs. They have guided daily meditations if you need to clear your head. They have curated music tracks if you're trying to improve your focus while you work or you study. And they have sleep stories that you can listen to to help you drift off to dreamland. 
I've listened to a bunch of different stuff from Calm and it is all very soothing and relaxing. Whatever you're going for, I've used it to focus, I've used it to calm down, I've used it to go to sleep, and it's been a great time. And it's not just me. Over 100 million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. So if you want to sleep more, stress less, or live better, you can do so with Calm. And as a Potterless listener, you get a special discount. For Potterless listeners, Calm is offering a special limited time promotion of 40% off a Calm premium subscription if you go to calm.com slash Potterless. That's calm.com slash Potterless for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. All the stuff they already have, and they continue to add new stuff regularly. Again, that's calm.com slash Potterless. Get Calm Premium at a discount and start listening to some soothing things to drown out the hotel noises that you're facing today. And now you'll hear words from a few sponsors who make it feasible for me to be a full-time podcaster. Some of these ads will be read by me, others of them won't. The ones that aren't are inserted locally, so if you live internationally, don't be surprised if you hear an ad in your country's native language. And once those ads are complete, we'll get back to this episode of Potterless. This episode of Potterless is brought to you by Mint Mobile. Now, in the Harry Potter world, you have troubles with cell phones in that no one can use them on Hogwarts because technology gets all wonky and stuff. In the non-wizarding world, you have troubles with cell phones in that you can have awful contracts where you get ripped off all the time. Now, you can have a solution to that problem by using Mint Mobile. Mint Mobile sells wireless phone service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and they pass those sweet savings on to you so that you can get wireless plans as cheap as 15 dollars a month when you purchase a three-month plan. You won't have to worry about overpriced monthly bills or unexpected overages. And also, every plan comes with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. I have Mint Mobile hooked up on my work phone right now, and... Every phone call I've had, crystal clear. Every time I've had to use data, very quick. Using hotspots is something that I also get with my plan, and I love having that flexibility. So if you want to ditch overpriced wireless bills, you can do so with Mint Mobile. They have a limited time deal, and you can get a premium wireless service for just 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash potterless. That's mintmobile.com slash potterless. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com dot com slash Potterless. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. So if you want to solve your muggle problems with phones, use Mint Mobile today. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Hey, it's me, Mike Schubert. That's right, I'm the same Mike Schubert from the Potterless Podcast. And if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to hear something similar, well, boy, are you in luck because I make a very similar podcast to Potterless called The Newest Olympian. That is the one that's going on currently. If you get caught up with Potterless, you will see that I only post episodes every month or so. But The Newest Olympian has weekly episodes, and that is a podcast with a similar structure to Potterless, but it's about the Percy Jackson books. That's right, I also didn't read those as a kid. So if you want to hear me going through that whole series for the first time, you can listen to The Newest Olympian wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Newest Olympian or going to our website, thenewestolympian.com. I've made my way through the first five books so far. I covered the first movie and the TV show. I did interviews with people who made the TV show, and I'm soon getting into the Heroes of Olympus sequel books. So again, that's The Newest Olympian, and you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. I know she's not on our list, but I have to throw in a character that we didn't talk about in our prep discussion, but one that really struck me when I had this more thorough discussion about each character previously, 
which was a wonderful Angelina Johnson. Love I love her. We adore our Quidditch girls, who we do not get enough of. And I forget this because this isn't really as much of a factor in the movies because the Quidditch plots of five and six got merged together in Half-Blood Prince. We don't see as much of Angelina Johnson and her larger role that she had in the book. We see a lot more of Katie Bell because she has a key plot point that needs to be shown. So, which is funny because Katie out of the three of them is probably like the least important (laughs) of the Quidditch girls (laughs) as far as the page goes. But Angelina is implied to be a character of color. She is mentioned to have cornrows that Pansy makes fun of at one point in the books. Classic Pansy. <laughs> yeah. Pansy's racist. That's what yeah. we learn. <laughs> yeah. She's not just racist in like the metaphorical way. She's just also racist. Like actually, yeah. Like super racist. <laughs> but Angelina, when she finally gets a portion of the story where she takes over as the Gryffindor Quidditch captain, does she have her own personality? No. She is specifically said in the narration to be channeling Oliver Wood's spirit. That's right. Uh, That's true. uh, There is space here to make a distinct Quidditch lead. And once again, you could possibly, possibly throw in that this is indeed incidental because Rowling hated the Quidditch and she didn't want to focus on it at all. So she just did low effort when it came to putting in a new captain. I think she liked the dynamic that Wood brought to the Quidditch team and she didn't want to rethink it. So she just put the same personality of Oliver Wood on Angelina Johnson Mm -hmm. and Harry notes it multiple times. And by the end of that year, Angelina has done nothing to set herself apart from Oliver Wood as Quidditch captain. So I just had to throw that one out there because that one actually kind of gave me a punch in the gut, because I loved Angelina when she was introduced. My roommate, Leandra, she related to Angelina, who has no lines, but she looks like her, Mm -hmm. and she loves Quidditch, and so she, like, we always talked about how she was the Angelina of our Harry Potter crew, and so to think that Angelina just gets to be a carbon copy of another character, another incidental letdown. And also it isn't isn't as good. I think partly also the narrative there within the story is that she's not as good at channeling Wood as Wood is just being himself. So not only is she not even being herself, she's like the narrative is she's not doing well. Like she's very stressed out the whole time and like mm-hmm. really keeping it together. So yes, I'm glad you brought that up because absolutely love Angelina Johnson as a concept of a character. I loved having her in the books. I loved having a black character. As little as she was like a black woman specifically being a little black girl growing up with these books like we have nothing in common i'm not sportsy i'm not like fierce in any way like we couldn't be more opposite but i still loved having the representation but like getting older you realize like the crumbs that we got (laughs) were just that just crumbs 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 victor crumbs indeed (laughs) so getting back to something that michael brought up with pansy i think transitions us well into our next point which is just the attempted commentary using metaphors that fell flat as michael said there's the racism of actually not licking angelina's hair but also there is the metaphorical racism of being a mudblood Mm -hmm. in the wizarding world and i think as far as a book goes my understanding was that this was something that was ahead of its time and it was a good use of metaphor but I think, unfortunately, what it boils down to, at least what I took away from our first discussion, is that you basically have white people 
or at least the most important characters that fall under this are white people that get to do the metaphorical representation of a marginalized group. And that's where it isn't as strong. I would love to learn why Mudblood is not necessarily a perfect use of commentary that JK tried to put into the books. Yeah, I would say like for the time, like I really growing up as like I identify as mixed. I'm half black, half Cherokee. Like I have those intersections growing up that way. And then also in an area that has represents neither (laughs) of those marginalizations at all in the demographics, like kind of, you know, trying to find my place and figure myself out. And so I did relate a lot specifically to like the plot of being a muggle-born. But then you realize that for the most part, except for Dean, which again, we talked about how she relegated that plot to just a B plot at best. It's represented by white people. So in essence, I'm relating a lot to Hermione for some of the struggles she's having, but it could just be a black person. It really could. And I think it doesn't work because of how the characters within the story respond to the, what do we want to call it? Like, it's not racism, but it's the racism stand-in, I guess we can say. Like, yes, there's outrage, but also at the same time, like we see in kind of, I think it's in the fourth book, like during the Quidditch World Cup or right after like the attack, I think Hermione's having a conversation with like, Mr. Weasley and Ron and it's talking about the house elves but like it's really showing like their privilege because like up until then you're seeing them as you know these are the for lack of a better word like these are the good white people like if we were to like (laughs) switch it over to our terms but like these are the good purebloods like they're down like they know what's up like they know what's real but at the same time they're defending the institution of slavery as it stands within the risening world. And so I feel like it very clearly reads as an attempt of imagining what racism or racism allegory would be from the perspective of a white person who's never experienced racism, because these things are so pervasive that like Hermione as a white, I have to, I have to separate it because in my head, Hermione's black, but for this conversation, for this particular point, (laughs) Hermione as a white muggle-born would feel that more strongly, like she would respond differently to some of these things. And there would be commentary within the book about some of these things, about how like what allyship should actually look like, but when really within the narrative, it's doing the bare minimum to actually interrogate those things. So like the astonished reactions, that's fine. Hermione's indifference to being called a mudblood all the time and being like met with magical racism is very kind of indifferent and odd because it's new to her. Like when you first growing up as a black and or brown person, nobody grows up realizing that the world is going to be racist against them. So even for people who are born black and brown and we can't take it off and we're very aware that we're black or we're East Indian (laughs) in Michael's case, like we're aware from that from birth, but you're not aware of racism. So when you first experience it, like it's a moment in your life and you have to come to terms with it. And it's a lot of work, but we don't see Hermione go through any of that. She's just like, oh, whatever. That's just Malfoy. Like, oh, whatever. Like she's indifferent to the discrimination she's feeling. And I just feel like that is what a white person would perceive a person of color as being because we're taught to like try and not show this discomfort or this upset because we have to navigate in a society or whatever. (laughs) I don't know if any of that makes sense, but it's just very much, I can just say as a black person, it doesn't read like an authentic narrative, even if it is meant to just be an allegory. Mm -hmm. I think to explore why this is the way it is in Harry Potter, as you mentioned, Mike, as you asked, was it revolutionary at the time? It was a big deal for juvenile literature. Mm-hmm. It was not a big deal for fantasy literature as a whole. 
Rolling is entering a long-standing tradition in Western European narratives of white people representing marginalized people. And the conflict is a metaphor for racism, prejudice, intolerance, but it's all played out on the stage by white people with the idea that that is more palatable and just in a way it's almost like well white people can get it this way this is this is the way for them to understand it yeah that's what i was gonna say oh you can get it now because it's a white person going through it so now you can relate right and this is more now than it was then because when you think about it in stories that have this those themes of intolerance and prejudice and racism there are still people of color and they're usually the bad guys. Mm-hmm, <laughs> and mm-hmm. So they don't fall into the metaphor in that very nicely in that way. They are still there to be a very negative representation. If you're interested in exploring not only kind of the traditions of that in fantasy and science fiction, but also in how that has been combated by authors who are only recently really getting their due, though they have been writing for quite a while, I would highly recommend the It's Lit series done on PBS Digital Studios, so you can find it on YouTube for free, and it is hosted by two of my favorite YouTubers, Lindsay Ellis and Princess Weeks. And Princess did a wonderful exploration on a subgenre called Afrofuturism. If you don't know what that is, You've probably seen Black Panther, so you have a passing knowledge of Afrofuturism. You do know what it is, actually. <laughs> it is the idea that Black individuals have been successful in the world and have a society where they can be celebrated and successful and they can be healthy and happy and safe and lead wonderful, technologically advanced lives that don't always carry the burden of how they have been suppressed by colonization and white individuals and white supremacy. But where that ties back in to Harry Potter are, as Delia mentioned, some of these metaphors such as SPEW, mudbloods, especially the mudblood, pureblood stuff. Umbridge is a great example of a character who is meant to represent... She's very Trumpian in a way because she is... <laughs> Her main technique is gaslighting, which is the idea that you're just essentially rewriting the truth and you're doing it with affirmations rather than saying it as maybe this is how it happened. You're saying, no, 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 this is how it happened. Right. And making those around you believe that's how it happened. Yes. And spreading that lie to the point that the people who know the truth are in the minority and are now portrayed as the ones who are unreasonable. Sadly, if you are paying attention to Rowling's behavior, she is now doing exactly what Umbridge did in the books, Mm -hmm. pretty much beat for beat. And we'll explore that a little bit later in our discussion. But uh, one of the major themes of Harry Potter is intolerance. And how do you combat intolerance with love? Right. Yeah. I think it's still good for her to write a book series for kids that tries to teach to fight against intolerance mm-hmm. and try to be more accepting. But yeah, as, as you two pointed out, the fact that it's basically just done through white people only is why this is something where there was room for improvement and not necessarily, you did it, A+. And Michael, you brought up another one that I w- always felt 
like this fell flat, not even just in a metaphorical perspective, but also just a, we never really got an end to this arc. It just kind of fizzled out perspective is spew, which is a strange attempt at discussing slavery, indentured servitude, power dynamics, et cetera. And it felt like it was always going to be more important. And then it just never happened. And I've always felt confused about this plot line. And I would also love to hear from your perspectives why not only does it just feel like it doesn't work in the story, but also not work for what it is trying to achieve. I would like to start that like there are a lot of people who really love that Hermione did spew. And I understand that. I hear you. I see you. I can't stand it and I wish it wasn't in the book I like that's not to say I don't like I have like you guys can't see my background but I have a spew badge like two (laughs) spew badges up here like you know the narrative gave what it gave did it give what it was supposed to give that is the question and the answer is no we've talked about how a lot of like if you started reading I know Mike didn't but you know for those of us who started reading as we were kids like a lot of this stuff went over our heads but I can tell you from the time that I read it ever since like I've never been okay with spew or how it was handled or just the house health arc in general, like Mike said, it's not wrapped up well, like just from a narrative perspective, like it doesn't really add anything to the story we could do without it, except for like we have these one-off house elves that we need for plot reasons. But that could have been anyone. They could have restructured the magical creature system there if you really just needed a magical creature there. But when it comes to Spew and house elves, how much time do we have? Let's see. Uh (laughs) (laughs) We're out of time. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Basically, so the issue is like the real narrative. I think this gets lost a lot in fandom. I've had many conversations with people where they will even say, oh, I thought you would have liked that story, you know, because I'm black naturally <laughs> naturally i, I mean this it's was about, written for you <laughs> it was written for you she's nodding to the fact that slavery was a bad and it's like <laughs> yeah you got house elves stop complaining <laughs> like, and that's great except for like okay i will say there are a lot of further reading and further listening uh, wizard team even did a bonus episode on house elves that you can find if you want to get really in depth but for brevity it's essentially just depicting like happy slaves and like mostly the commentary in the society around it is not questioning it it's like they're happy to be slaves let them be slaves hermione chill out like it's fine and then on top of that she hermione comes in like a white savior and just decides for the house elves how to free them and what that's going to look like and that's why she's met with resistance Um, Instead of like including them in the narrative, like she is still just essentially being a white savior to these house elves. And then, well, going back, I did mention that conversation with Mr. Weasley and Ron when they're exiting the forest. Like they talk about how like even Mr. Weasley's like, you need to leave them alone. They're happy to be elves, slaves, essentially. And they get treated so badly. We see them being improperly treated in the text. Um, We even see, I think Miss Weasley wish she had house elves, like wish she had slaves. And like the narrative is mostly, it just kind of devolves into, when I'm saying the narrative, I mean like the narrator, like there's nothing to interrogate is what I mean. And so the narrative really just kind of lands on Hermione's being kind of silly and Hermione about it. And we just kind of let her do her thing. Like it's never resolved. The most resolution we get is that Ron is a semi-romantic resolution where Ron's like, what about the slaves? And <laughs> Hermione's like, you know what? Yeah, like we should, those enslaved house elves, we should probably like save them, I guess. And I also want to note that the story, this happens narratively. Harry owns creature. <laughs> Harry becomes a slave owner. Like that <laughs> happens. And he, he's given the option to free creature, which would be the morally correct thing to do. And 
him and Dumbledore are like, yeah, that's a liability for us. So we're just going to keep owning him. And it's just a just like narratively, it's not good. But also then to expect black fans to be like, yeah, this was a good commentary allegory for slavery when there's so many better ones in the history of literature. And it's just handled poorly. I wish it wasn't there doesn't serve the story. And it kind of gives, I feel like in particular, because we learned so much from Harry Potter growing up, I think it has taught a lot of especially like privileged fans, but especially white fans, like this kind of like blueprint of what being a white savior is and (laughs) thinking that's like the way to do it. Like people really laud Hermione for having done this, for speaking up against slavery. And like it was the bare minimum to begin with. And she didn't even do it well. She spoke over, like she didn't really interact with the house elves in any meaningful or productive way nothing productive comes from it and at the end of the story house elves are still enslaved so it's bad i don't like it i wish it wasn't there but alas earwax (laughs) right so to not be a white savior and if hermione was to do it the right way would it be solved by her asking the house elves before taking action on their behalf is that the big problem with it is that she just decided i know what's best for you so i'm going to start doing stuff without getting your opinion or how would that have looked better if it was to be tweaked there's actually not to be like one of those plug forever but actually (laughs) black girls create has a project called the hogwarts bsc which is hogwarts black student union where we've collected and had people write fic for us like from the perspective of black students or black characters at hogwarts and some of it has interrogated the very institution of spew and has like had characters like interact with Hermione and like call her out. Like, this is not the way. Have you talked to the house elves? Have you met the house elves? Like, that's not what they want. Like, how, who are you to step in and do all this? And mind you, in the, in these stories, Hermione's black on top of that, but we're saying white savior because that's what it is within the story, but also like everybody needs to check their privilege. And I don't think Rowling had the range for this, but yeah, I think essentially like the first and best step of being a good ally is to listen. And so if Hermione had actually consistently met with the house elves, had talked with the house elves, got to know them, like gotten through, because there would obviously be a lot of distrust if it was written correctly from the house elves talking to a wizard who says they're going to help them. I think that would have been a great start. Having a house elf like saying, hey, I'll use my privilege in whatever way to like bolster your cause if this is what you want to do. You just let me know what it is that you're wanting to do. I think that would have been the correct way to go about it. Not saying, hey, I had an idea. What if I just sneakily freed you all? Like, would that be cool? <laughs> or no, you don't want to accidentally pick up clothes. Is that is that not cool? I don't know. Delia, I have a really fraught relationship with Spew as a plot point because the interesting thing is if you keep all the same structures in place for Potter and you extract SPEW you get what happened in the movies, which is so bizarre, where it's just like Rowling insists that creature has to be there to deal with the stuff with the locket. And then it just turns into this mess because you're like, why is creature here? What is this story? Because the house elves haven't been seen since the second film. What does this even have to do with the plot? And I see the seeds with SPEW, when Rowling introduces it and Hermione brings Harry and Ron down to the kitchens and she's like, what the hell is this? <laughs> and like that idea, that realization that Rowling does through the series that, oh, magic isn't just wave your wand and poof, everything is fixed. Actually, there are people in the kitchen making that food that comes up to your table that you have been taking for granted all this time. There is slavery. There is indentured servitude going on down here. And magic is not a fix-all solution. It's not as pretty as it seems. Magic has a lot of fakery to it. 
And I do like that element of Harry Potter in general, the idea that magic isn't really the fix-all. But I agree with you that as it goes on, it just crumbles terribly. And I do believe, Mike, in terms of answering your question, it's so nuanced, as Delia mentioned, to the point that Rowling didn't have the ability to answer that question properly in her narrative. It would have taken, I think in her argument would have been likely that it would have taken up too much time Mm -hmm. to deal with, and she had already devoted so much time to it. Mm -hmm. And so that is why you get such an unsatisfactory ending where Ron's just like, we should free the slaves. And Hermione's like, that is so hot. (laughs) And it's all about them making out for the first time. And Delia said it right that the way that it starts you have an in. Hermione has an in. She has Dobby. She has an individual who knows how to talk to this group. And rather than let him do that, she just does it. She doesn't even think to leverage Dobby for this discussion. She just marches into the kitchens and waves her Le Mis French flag. <laughs> and oh, no. Like, Freedom! Viva la house elves! <laughs> and it's just, what a weird, that is the exactly wrong approach for equity, diversity, inclusion discussion. That is not how you do it. That is not, you definitely listen to your community and you let the leaders of that community speak. I think the other unfortunate thing that Delia pointed to is that Dobby, rather than being portrayed as a unique, special individual with leadership abilities, is just an oddball and borderline Jar Jar Binks. Man, he gets so close to being Jar Jar Binks. (laughs) I can't say that I'm a big Dobby fan for that reason. He's not exactly Jar Jar Binks, but man, is he close. And because I think Dobby genuinely has a, he's not just there to entertain kids like I believe Jar Jar was structured to be. He is there because he does have a part to play in the story. And I think his part is fairly substantial but it's not done very well. And it's done as a disservice to Dobby Mm -hmm. um, and to house elves as a whole. Like he is seen throughout the books as an oddball and a giant annoyance, a pain in Harry's backside that he does not want while he is doing kind and useful things. Literally he knits Harry a pair of socks and Harry's like, these are the ugliest socks I've ever seen (laughs) in my life. I will never wear these socks. (laughs) It's just like, Dude. Yeah, it's kind of like we were talking about, like, you know, marginalized, actual marginalized, like, humans being, like, treated not well by the plot. And to the point of how Dobby's written, this is also kind of where I also mean, like, I don't think Rowling has the range because, like, she also, even writing the house cells, like, you would have to imagine yourself as a marginalized person in order to write, even though they're fictional, to write them in a way that is believable instead of, like, oh, he's the odd, like, the, the way she writes them, the house elves genuinely believe that Dobby is the oddball and he's a weirdo. Why does he not like being enslaved? And I know I keep using the words like enslaved, even though that doesn't exist in the narrative. I just think it helps with the framing. Right. It's why I always call the pure blood stuff racists and not blood purists or whatever. It's just the whole thing is a metaphor. So I'm just going to call it the metaphor thing. It's also just easier. And we all know what we're talking about. We get it. Right. Exactly. <laughs> I would hope people draw that connection. It's intended. It's intended yeah, for sure. by rolling to be that parallel metaphor so i think it's perfectly acceptable delia to use those terms because that's what she's trying to evoke those thoughts as you read it right and so dobby seen as like this weirdo for not being happy to be enslaved when i think in actuality if written with nuance you may have that reaction still but i think it'd be more from a place of fear and you would still see some discontent among the 
house elves with their situation in life. But like fear is a lot of the times what drove people to accept there and not even just in talking about enslaved people in history or just in general oppressed people like through fear accepted their like lot in life and there's always there's always people who are pushing against and pushing the grain whether they get written into history or not they are there and so for neither of those dichotomies to be represented like I don't think Rowling would have had the range to do that and also I just wanted to add before we move on please just a quick google search because there's a lot of people who just talk about this stuff way more in depth and it's so good the meta on all of this is really really great however the way she presents the house elves as even speaking like they're uneducated mm. they speak with like a lower class english like yeah. quote, quote unquote and i know there is some nuance there because you're talking about british english versus american english but like there are a lot of parallels with how late 19th century early 20th century like how black people were presented and how in minstrel shows and stuff like that how we were presented as speaking and not understanding aave which is african-american vernacular english which is actually an actual real dialect of english with grammar rules and everything not that we should have to defend that but it is true like it just the misunderstanding and that view of how unintelligent this marginalized group is or these other people are seems to be being played out with how she's written the house elves and again i'm not british i can't really speak to the exact background she's drawing from when writing them but there is a parallel there that i think should be interrogated and like read into surprise language is racist too <laughs> <laughs> it feels like with this she just bit off more than she could chew and yeah. rather than us actually get a narrative plot that finishes this metaphor it just starts and then just kind of fizzles out and right. that's what makes it look bad to throw in because delia talked too about this idea of where is this nuance of this piece of fear that keeps you in these difficult situations that you don't necessarily want to stay in, in this case as a slave, but that keep you there. There were, if you've studied U.S. history, and when slaves were granted freedom, some of them chose not to leave the households that they served, and that was because they didn't know what life would be for them if they left. There's fear in that story. There is the fear of the unknown that is reasonable and understandable because the system has left you with nothing, with no money of your own, no land of your own, no people of your own to gather with and find community with, especially in those times. And there is the only hint of that that even comes up, and it's bad, like all the things we've been talking about before, is Winky. Mm -hmm. And it's there, but she's portrayed as just a sweet drunk yep. and rolling mentioned extra canonically that winky cleans up after a while and gets herself you know back on the wagon and i'm just like well we didn't see it we don't see that plot resolve on the page you see a little bit with dodby helping her out and it's one of the reasons i grew to like him but yes it's not we don't have a conversation with winky where she's like hey guys I'm, no. you know i'm back thanks for the help or whatever yeah <laughs> right dobby is just caring for her and then that's it so you have it built in though where winky reflects what probably should have been dealt with with the house elves as a group which is that they are concerned about employment Mm -hmm. If they leave, where do they go and where can they go to be paid? Like that is what Dobby brings up individually, but 
it would make sense to apply that to all the house elves at some point, and you would make sense to have Dobby lead those conversations mm-hmm. with the house elves. I know some of your listeners are just like, please, Michael, the whole book can't be Dobby and the Goblet of Fire. <laughs> <laughs> but there's definitely still be room. If you're going to do the narrative. If you're going to start it, you got to follow through. Exactly. And that's exactly what we're talking about in this whole section. I think the last thing just to bring up, I think we'll talk about this more in the next episode, especially because we're over time here, but... The other instance of this that is partially in attempted commentary that fell flat and verges into intentional choices that are bad is using Lupin and his lycanthropy as a reference to HIV. And I think we'll discuss this next time, especially when we're getting into Dumbledore and Grindelwald and (laughs) promise he was gay the whole time. We'll discuss that next time, but I just wanted to say that's another example of this subcategory, but I do think that that one verges into intentional choices that are not great from JK. But that is where we're going to stop for this first part. We will have our second part talking about these intentional choices, but until then... Delia and Michael, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate you guys lending your expertise. I'm excited to continue this discussion. I would assume the listeners are excited to have a part two to this as well. I will be sure to put links in the description for some of the things we talked about, as well as where they can find the two of you. But thank you so much for joining. And listeners, thank you for listening. And as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, when they decide that they're not going to wear hideous socks knitted for them by Dobby ever, because they're the most disgusting articles of clothing I've ever seen. Grotesque. Grotesque. (laughs) Grotesque footwear. Wizard on. Hey, if you're looking for some new podcasts, why don't you check out the other shows that are a part of the Multitude Collective? Why don't you try and join the party? Join the Party is a collaborative storytelling and role-playing podcast powered by the rules of Dungeons and Dragons. In the first campaign, they explored fantasy, adventure, intrigue, magic, and drama. And in this new story for season two, they tackle science, superpowers, a better future, and the responsibility to help others. Each month, the players also sit down for the after party, where they break down their game and answer your questions about how to play D&D and other role-playing games at home. There's also segments at the beginning of each campaign to teach people how to play the game themselves. It's a party and you're invited, so search for Join the Party in your podcasting app or go to jointhepartypod.com. Potterless is created by Mike Schubert. It is hosted by Mike Schubert. This episode was edited by Mike Schubert and Sherry Glo. It is produced by Mike Schubert as well as Vicky Garcia, Christine, Aaron Johnson, Klauser, Lopu, Marchismo, Juan Sanfeliu, Rosemary, Dajmarie, Lisa C. Keen, Audra, Eleanor, Kerlin, Nikita Power, Rachel Guthrie, Alex Consulver, John Kotker, Noel Basile, Claire Spencer, Rory Collier, Veronica Bartova, Lada Bartova, Noah, Jennifer Marklu, Justin Montero, Jacob Parrish, Maya Gray, Polly Burge, Zena Rosnowski, Harlan Haskins, Nikki Harris, Kine, Sarah Shedder, Marta Morrison, Flora Sake, Skyla Lily, Edel Ryan, Professor Threat, Ellie Hoskov-Chova, Michael David Yordi, Kelly Otilio, Kerry Crumpler, Connie Bienkowski, Jen Went, Nedry O.S., Will Huser, Mareik Riga, Ashton Gabrielson, Brittany Gutierrez, Phelan, The Meadows Family, Ginny from the Block, Heather Langeal, Kevin Stewart, Jarls Fiven, Peter McGrath, Callahan Andares, Bella Barlack, Melanie Demi, Rees Dignan, Joseph Torp, Madison, Don't Call Me an Infidora, Sabrina Balsiker, Sophia Loves Pigs, Farzan Jarabat, Melanie De Reif, Matt Barger, Okamahim, Bony Pony, Kelsey Gillespie, Rike Mango Jensen, Taylor Payne, Megan Moon, Riley Kitas, Laurel Happy, Erica Butler, Kendra Hertz, Natanya Page, Yogan Shanley, Darcy Alexandra Harrison, Sandra Rose, Craig McRoberts, Demi Lynn, Michelle Spurgeon, Henrika Wolf, Casey Canales, Megan Stampin, Jack Skitzes, Dane Nemcher, Little One, Ilaria Vicentin, Gregory Hughes, Call Call Mother Feathers, Ribbon Monstrosity, Jack Parr, Serenity Allen, Haley Hastings, Sabrina Casanova, Jenny Browers, Eileen Gazesh, Annette Pipitone, Hufflepuff Alumni, Brett Clausen, Mary Price, Artemis, Samantha McNamara, Nina Campley, Tatiana Schmidt, Carries Davies, Little Vomit Spiders Running Around, Punkfish, Wire Warrior 4976, Joe Sander, Michael Peavy, Maya Saunders, Jasmine Ellis, Neely, Tate Sasson, Sam Sam Reby, Adriana Hernandez, John Savio, Jody Dunamorphy, Nash Sanadiki, Emma L. Oscar Thomason, Sean Kirkoba, Greg Bonastali, Matthew J. Moreland, Ping Vinacek, Nani, Emma Kui, Toff 
Beifong, Micah Alma McLeod, Michaela Veneer, Steamed Nuggets, and Can't I Potter. Web designed by Kelly Schubert, and the music is by Bettina Campomanes. If you want to find us on social media, you can at facebook.com slash Potterlist, twitter.com slash Pod, instagram.com slash Podcast, and reddit.com slash r slash Potterlist. For any and all information about the show, you can go to Potterlistpodcast.com. Bonus content lives at patreon.com slash Potterlist. Merch lives at Potterlistpodcast.com slash merch. And tickets to our tour of live shows coming up in August and September lives at Potterlistpodcast.com slash live. If you think of someone that might enjoy this podcast, why don't you tell them about it? Reach out to them directly and say, hey, there's this podcast called Potterless. I think you would really like it. Or if you want to help the show grow, you could talk about it on social media or leave us a rating interview online. All of these things really help. Thank you so much for listening. And until next time, as they say in the Wizarding World of Harry Potter, wizard on. Hey, it's me, Mike Schubert. That's right. I'm the same Mike Schubert from the Potterless Podcast. And if you're enjoying this podcast and you want to hear something similar, well, boy, are you in luck because I make a very similar podcast to Potterless called The Newest Olympian. That is the one that's going on currently. If you get caught up with Potterless, you will see that I only post episodes every month or so. But The Newest Olympian has weekly episodes, and that is a podcast with a similar structure to Potterless. But it's about the Percy Jackson books. That's right. I also didn't read those as a kid. So if you want to hear me going through that whole series for the first time, you can listen to The Newest Olympian wherever you get your podcasts by searching for The Newest Olympian or going to our website, thenewestolympian.com. I've made my way through the first five books so far. I covered the first movie and the TV show. I did interviews with people who made the TV show, and I'm soon getting into the Heroes of Olympus sequel books. So again, that's The Newest Olympian, and you can listen to it wherever you get your podcasts.